Are you an accredited investor looking for a new opportunity to generate passive income and build the retirement of your dreams? Then elevate your investment game with Viking Capital, where wealth meets wisdom. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, Viking Capital can help guide you towards financial freedom through passive real estate investing. With strong and transparent underwriting, Viking identifies low-risk opportunities with the goal of preserving investor capital and maximizing long-term growth potential. And their accessible and responsive investor relations team will help you understand how each investment will impact your unique financial goals. With $800 million in assets acquired, more than $230 million in equity raised, and more than 5,000 units under management, Viking Capital is your path to early retirement. To learn about Viking Capital's latest investment opportunity, which is available for you right now, visit go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best. That's go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best to get started today. Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, Promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. You have an asset where you can change the outcome of its future manually by doing things, and that's what we like to do. But you have to treat it like a business. So I think for people starting now, treat it like a business and keep the emotion out as much as you can. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Slocum Reed and I'm here with Mark Curry. Mark is joining us from Bend, Oregon. He is a VP and co-founder of SMK Capital Management, a family-owned private equity firm that raises capital and partners with operators in apartments, mobile homes, self-storage, and ATMs. He's also a returning guest. He was on episode 1721 with Ryan Andrews. And himself, Mark Curry. Current portfolio in his 17 years of experience investing in commercial real estate, he's been involved in deals valued over $1 billion in asset value, and he's managed over 60 partnerships with investors. Mark, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're currently focused on? Sure. Thanks, Slocum. Yeah, I started out as a financial analyst in corporate America, a lot of spreadsheets, doing budgets and planning, some internal auditing, 
and started investing on the side, very active slocum, like a lot of people begin, you buy your first place, you fix it up, cash out, do it again, that kind of thing. And started partnering with some family members while working. This is 2005 through 2010. We built a small portfolio, predominantly of distressed property slocum at the time. We were buying a lot of single family, small multifamily, boarded up, REO, short sales, et cetera, all cash. A lot of times the rehab cost was the same as the purchase price or greater and selling them or holding them. And we decided in 2010 to expand and created our company, SMK Capital Management. The goal at the time, Slocum, was really to just keep buying, but also to diversify. We saw some interesting asset classes do well through the recession. There weren't a ton, but mobile home parks, self-storage, some apartments were very much top of mind. And we wanted to start investing in those as well. And so we did. We started out expanding our portfolio into those asset classes by partnering, learning, meeting a lot of folks that were specialists in those sectors and started growing our portfolio that way. So yeah, today, fast forward, we pretty much focus on a lot of the same asset classes. We are very much recession resistant mindset. We believe that the future is quite uncertain to say the least, looking ahead in 2023 and and really try to position our capital that way. Mark, I introduced you as uh, apartments, mobile homes, self-storage, and ATMs. When you all started to expand in 2010, 12, 13 years ago now, we're recording at the beginning of 2023. Did you jump into all of those asset classes? Did that happen over time? It happened over time. So we started out as an operating partner, Slocum, which means we would source, underwrite, buy, finance, execute on the business plan all in-house A to Z, including picking the paint color and the tile finish, et cetera, on rehabs. And we started expanding into other asset classes that I noted by partnering with other operating partners and relying on them to execute on the business plan. So we did that slowly in synergy and at the same time as doing our our own deals as an operator. So that was a little bit of a test to say the least, right? You're trusting and relying on others to do what's in your best interest. And so that took us time. We did one, did another, found a nice partnership, a pattern, kept going, And after several years, we looked at both business models, Slocum, and realized that the risk-adjusted returns that we were getting by being more a capital source and providing our investor group with more diversification, different options, investments, et cetera, was a more intriguing way to spread portfolio risk and grow our company. So that's really where we focus and continue to today. Mark, when someone with your length and breadth of experience talks about risk-adjusted returns and deciding how you're going to continue in investing and investing other people's capital based on risk-adjusted equations, it compels me to ask, because I'm personally interested as well as for our listeners, how is it that you were calculating your risk adjustment for the returns that you were seeing being a capital provider or being an operator? So there's a few buckets where we classify risk. The first is people risk. That's our operating partners. What is their track record, their experience, their ability to execute on the business plan? That's something we look almost at first, Slocum, before deal metrics, because you can have the best deal with the most conservative underwriting, but if you have the wrong people running it, you're likely not to succeed. 
So that's one bucket. The second, of course, is the deal itself, how it's underwritten. That's adjusted slightly over time, but we really try and look for conservative assumptions. I know everybody says that. It sounds cliche. And if you're overly conservative, honestly, you just never invest. So there's a balancing act there where what we try and do is really come out of underwriting on a deal with a lot of conviction that we're going to be able to meet or beat the projected returns. And not all the stars in the world have to align just to get to the projected return. And so that's a big part of analyzing risk on a deal level, people aside. And then, of course, you want to look at local market and what kind of trends are in favor and against the area that you're choosing to invest into. And then we look forward as well at the forecast and potential future of the market and the asset class to see really one question we ask down the road in a certain asset and investment is, do we think there's going to be more or less buyers for this property in three, five, 10 years and why? And again, trying to have conviction around a lot of these points of risk. Obviously, we didn't discuss one of the biggest risks. It's very much talked about today, but debt is usually the number one risk in a lot of investments other than potentially people. So very much analyzing that very closely, we try and look today at fixed rate debt, a lot of more long-term focus for us, five to 10-year holds. So we're not forced to be a seller at the wrong time. We focus a lot on income and then growth in that order. And again, the real posture of being able to just sit and hold and not sell when it's not best time to do so. Those are some of the ways we analyze risk on a regular basis, Slocum. I want to go back to the first thing you said about estimating risk, because that's the one that stuck out to me the most. Let me talk about myself for a moment as a point of comparison. I'm an apartment owner operator in Cincinnati, Ohio, only in Cincinnati, Ohio, because however I calculate risk, I always feel like there is less risk involved when I am capable of having the onus of making the asset perform, if that makes sense. Obviously, there are macro factors involved in the market, the economy, inflation, debt, to your point, as you said. But at the end of the day, if the buck stops with me, that feels less risky, in part to your people equation. You were an operator, and you decided that there was less risk as an operator investing with other operators as opposed to operating yourself. So that for me, and probably for some of our listeners would require a mental shift that I would love to hear more about how you made. How was it that you determined that investing with other operators was a better risk-adjusted return for you than continuing to operate yourself? That decision was largely made kind of as an investor, Slocum, which is what I am first before an operator and before a syndicator, or private equity investment manager is an investor. And so putting that hat on, how do you reduce risk and your people risk, which is really what I think you're focusing a bit on. If you work with too few operators, you're not spreading out your risk far enough in my view. And if you do too many, you may not have deep enough relationships with them to be able to really understand how they think, how they operate. If the market's going left and the business plan says to go right, can they adjust? Do they have your best interest in mind? So from a risk standpoint, 
We find that being able to diversify and spread our people risk across different operators and different regions and different asset classes to us is a little bit more safe than putting more eggs in fewer baskets, if you will. So that's one way we look at it. Even if those are your baskets? Yeah, listen, try to take the bias out if you can. If you're an operator and you think you're better than everybody else, well, you're probably not. So if you're realistic and realize that the competition is probably healthy and it will allow you to improve and become better because you're learning from others and seeing maybe where you've made mistakes, where they've made mistakes and learning from them and learning from each other, that's the best way, in my view, to continue to grow and do better for investors. So we also found Slocum as our specialty was in distressed and single family and small multifamily. A lot of the margin on those assets got squeezed through the run-up in the last 10 years. So risk was increasing while return wasn't. So that was a big part of our focus too, is can we still produce risk-adjusted attractive returns for our investors consistently in the market that we're in today, for example, versus three, four, five years ago, that kind of thing. And so that's part of our pivoting process too, was just to be able to really provide exciting opportunities that we found would have a very high likelihood of it continuing to be there again in another three to five, 10 years. Mark, that makes a lot of sense. And I know that there are operators out there who are doing really exciting things and frankly, operators that are better than me. I know that my hang up is the belief that if it's to be, it's up to me. I'm hanging on to that hang up for now though. (laughs) Based on your bio, Mark, there's something I want to touch on, but before I dive too deep into anything else, I do feel it is my obligation on behalf of our best ever listeners to ask you, given your experience, the variety of asset classes that you operate in, in commercial real estate, based on your analysis of what's happening in the economy right now, setting aside the which markets are you going into conversation, of the four asset classes we've mentioned, where do you expect to focus in 2023? Is it apartments, self-storage, mobile home parks, ATMs, or is it something else? Good question, Slocum. So we analyze that all the time. I'll say this, we've invested personally and through our company in over a dozen different asset classes within real estate over the years. And we focus on the four that you noted, and we have been for five years straight now, specifically because we find them to be very attractive from a return standpoint. We find them to be growing in demand for use from residents and from investor buyers. Who's our exit? Who are we going to sell to? So. They still are very much top of mind for us today. We're going to continue to invest in all of them. If you want me to dive in a bit more and share more, like which one's first and second and third, I can give you some thoughts there as to what would we go into today versus what maybe we would pause on. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you a real estate investor looking to break into the multifamily investing space? Have you heard of MFIN Con happening in Charlotte, North Carolina, June 12th through the 14th? The Multifamily Investor Nation Convention is a place to learn from over 60 high-level apartment investors while networking with more than 700 additional investors. If that's not enough for you, A-Rod, yep, Alex Rodriguez, 12-time Major League Baseball All-Star with over $700 million 
million of commercial real estate assets. We'll be live and in person speaking at the event. Also speaking is the one and only Dr. Robert Cialdini, the godfather of influence and the award-winning author. I personally love his books. So be sure to secure your tickets to this live in-person event before they're gone. Go to MFINCon.com for more details. Sponsorship opportunities are also available. Visit MFINCON.com today. Use the promo code BESTEVER to get $200 off your tickets. That's MFINCON.com. Mark, I think that's my question here is what are you pausing on and what are you doubling down on right now? Right now, we are very much focused on mobile home parks. They continue to be top of mind for us, Slocum. We've consistently seen the affordable housing crisis in America grow the last several years. Home affordability has only become harder and harder for folks due to rising home prices, inflation, high interest rates, you name it. And so we have a huge crisis in this country, affordable housing crisis. Mobile home parks, we feel, are one of the best positioned assets to weather that demand that we think is going to continue to grow for many, many years. It's a long-term trend. You have a very unique structure with mobile home parks that you don't find in most other asset classes, which is almost the scarcity of supply and the, the moat that you have around the asset class from the inability to create new mobile home parks that are affordable. I mean, you can often find potential development deals in mobile home parks, but a lot of times the end product is not quite affordable for the resident. So it's a unique asset class for a lot of reasons. It's top of mind for us today. We're very much focused on it. Secondarily, I'd say apartments. We've done very well in the apartment space for many years. Obviously, there's a lot of change in the marketplace today with inflation and the cost of debt skyrocketing in the past year or so. But you also still see very close, if not already above, historically high occupancy rates. Going back to the type of apartment is specific to think about. We focus typically on middle income, workforce housing, and some affordable housing as well. So we're really looking at trying to supply to the local market a safe, amenity-driven apartment community that is afforded by the local community. So that's a big part of our focus in growth markets, and we'll continue to invest in apartments. Self-storage, we've also done well in for many years. The one attribute that storage, I think, tends to increase risk for us when compared to the other two asset classes is the ability to create new supply that competes with existing So if you're a storage resident or user, you're looking to find a place that's affordable and close to your home or your work, and you don't really care that much about the age of the asset or how shiny and bright it is or new. So you find that supply can increase quickly. It's very much sub-market specific. So you have to know with very strong certainty what the pipeline is. So is there new units coming online? How quickly and how much is it going to affect your existing operation. And so we're very much focused on these three assets, Slocum, I'd say probably in that order that I just mentioned. Mobile home parks, then workforce housing apartments in growing markets, and then self-storage. Yep. I feel, Mark, like there's a lot that I could ask about and a lot that I could learn from you personally. I know that our best ever listeners are along for that ride as well. One metric, though, from your introduction that stood out to me, the one that stood out to me the most was that you have managed over 60 partnerships with investors. Can you explain a little bit more 
to us what the nature of those 60 relationships has been? Sure. Essentially, anytime we're raising capital from a group of investors into an entity, and that entity is going to invest in something. It could be a single asset. It could be a fund that we're creating where we're combining multiple assets with multiple operators. It could be short-term investment. It could be a long-term investment. That's essentially what we call a partnership where our investors are relying on us to do as we said we were going to do, which is to perform according to the business plan, the budget, the financial projections. So that's how I define it. And everything you just referenced is one of over 60 partnerships. Yeah. Anytime we create an investment where we're grouping capital together into an entity, that would be considered a partnership. Gotcha. I want to ask for advice on how to make sure you're entering into the right partnerships. I want my first question to be less broad. In particular, how can you know that you're going into business with the right partners before you receive funds, send funds, or sign anything that's going to be legally binding long-term? I'll mention two thoughts. The first being an investor into our partnerships with SMK, and the second being us into in a partnership with another operator, because it kind of works both ways. And there's very similar processes, strategies that we use that we would advise others to use too. So first thought is, how do you know the people? It's very much people business. How do you know them? Did you just stumble on them on an ad? Did you get referred to them by a family member who's been investing with them for two decades? First introduction or how you get to know the folks is critical, we find today, to really making sure you can try and establish some trust with them. If you don't know them and it's just a cold introduction slocum, then my suggestion is take more time to get to know them. Find others that have worked with them for many years and talk to several of them, preferably if you can do it without the partners knowing. So one way you can do that is go on LinkedIn, find out who they're connected to, reach out to them. Hey, I saw you know Slocum. Have you ever invested with them? You can also, of course, ask for references, but we all understand that most of those references have agreed to be named there. And so there's a good way to do it outside of direct requests. So find out the people, what their background is. Have they ever lost money for investors? Why? What did they do? How did they handle it? Were they trying to hide it? Were they transparent? Did they write a check to help overcome some of that loss to their group? Really get to know them in that respect. What are they struggling with today in their portfolio? How are they handling it? How much transparency is there? You really want to be able to trust them. So the way you establish trust is by, for us, asking a lot of questions. It's verification of information, trust but verify. And at some point, you're going to have to test them. That's how we got started when we started trusting other operators, Slocum, about 10 years ago. It was a lot of questions. There was a lot of referrals from people who had done well with them. And then we would trust them by giving them a little test, a small investment, see how they do. You never really know until you write the check and then you can follow them for quarters or years and see how they communicate, see how they do on the business plan, the operation, the execution, and then continue to invest further if you're pleased. So that's a, a general process of how we look at things. I want to ask specifically about your more joint venture style partnerships where 
you are partnering with someone else and both of you will end up with decision-making power on the partnership or decision-making power about operations and asset decisions about liquidity events and other major things. Obviously doing your due diligence, vetting someone, making sure that if they have experienced loss, that they handled it the way that you want them to have handled it, making sure they've delivered, have some sort of reputation within your sphere. That's ideal as well, of course. Specific to partnerships where you know both you and the other partner or partners are going to continue to have decision-making power. How do you make sure that you are giving that power or sharing that power with the right people? It takes a little bit of time and experience before you get to decision-making or consent rights, that kind of thing, Slocum. So a lot of operating partners that we work with, they need to trust you too, right? They're not going to give you that kind of authority or rights and power and control without already having done a bunch of deals together. So it takes time to build up to that. It takes experience. So how do you get to it? It's by doing and continuing to do and continuing to do and being able to rely on each other as needed. Each group should have different responsibilities, of course, and we tend to rely heavily on our operating partners for execution of the business plan. So we expect them to run the day-to-day operations. We expect them to ensure that we are maximizing operational efficiencies at the asset, that we are doing what's in everyone's best interest from an investor standpoint and taking good care of us. So if you start investing with a group and you start to feel like maybe they're not putting you first and making sure they have your best interest first, you might not want to continue, right? And you may want to pause and wait and see. And so a lot of it is a learning process. It's working with people, Slocum. It's a bit of an art, maybe a little bit less of a science versus underwriting a spreadsheet, right? So it takes time. It's a lot of conversations, a lot of emails, a lot of boots on the ground, visiting the properties, see how they work and integrate with their on-site asset managers or property managers. Is there really a nice team there that you want to be a part of? So that's some of the ways that we look at that. When it comes to consent rights and things like that, it's not necessarily all that we do. We do partner with other operators where we don't have consent rights and we're okay with that too, Slocum. Again, we're relying on them to make the decisions. But when we do have consent rights, it's usually for a couple of reasons. One, we have a lot of experience with an operator. We've done well together and or we're writing a large equity check for the deal. So we can, of course, negotiate those types of terms together. That makes a lot of sense, Mark. Being that you are a returning guest, We're not going to do the lightning round, but I do want to ask for our best ever listeners, what is your best ever advice? Best ever advice. Gosh, the first one you hear all the time is just try not to be emotional when you're making an investment decision. It's hard. I get it. We've been emotional. I've been emotional. You have an asset where you can change the outcome of its future manually by doing things. And that's what we like to do but you have to treat it like a business. So I think for people starting out, treat it like a business and keep the emotion out as much as you can. Excellent advice. Where can people get in touch with you? Two ways. So our website is smkcap.com. Again, our company name is SMK Capital Management. And also you can email us. I'd look at all the emails. It comes to uh, info at smkcap.com. Those links are in the show notes. Mark, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gained value from this conversation, as I know I have, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review. 
and share this with a friend who you know we can add value to through our conversation today. Thank you and have a best ever day. Thanks, welcome. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.